I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And today, well, we have an excellent one. Fun informative, and even myth-busting. Oh, I do like a little bit of myth-busting. We have a special guest today, Ivan O'Gorman from IOG Bike Fit and Consulting. Ivan, well, he's nothing short of an icon in the bike fitting world. He is, simply put, the man. Seriously, highly respected by all levels and known for a highly technical mind that also blends an understanding of the whole human. Ivan's got a great way of taking complex and making it simple and accessible. Now, he's worked with world tour cyclists, many of which you've seen just in the Tour de France, some of the top professional triathletes in the world, and a full range of amateurs and recreational cyclists. He's also a really well-respected educator, biomechanist, and he comfortably resides in his wonderful shop and studio in Boulder, Colorado. Visitors, they get to enjoy signed cycling jerseys of many of the sport's best, oodles of fantastic espresso, top-line equipment and software in bike fit and cycling apparel, and much, much more. And as a person, Ivan, well, he is, without doubt, a character. Beyond being one of the most respected bike fitters in the world, He is also a seriously accomplished athlete. As you're going to hear in the show, he represented Ireland in rugby. He's a seven-time Ironman Hawaii World Championship qualifier, and he's even finished the legendary 100-mile Leadville mountain bike race just twice. Guys, you're going to love this one. Now, I can chat. I've been accused of sometimes being a little bit wordy, but Ivan, he kills me. He kills me with words. And he kills me even with charm. Oh, it makes me feel dirty. As you're going to hear, he even made me feel really good by calling me the best possible kind of headache. How did I fall for that one? Anyway, today, because of our chattiness, both Ivan and I combined, we're going to go straight to the show. It's a pretty meaty one. But just before we do, I want to give you the details because I think once you listen, you're going to want to dive in. So Ivan's website, ivanogorman.com, we'll put it in the show notes for you. And as you listen today, you're going to hear about Ivan talking about virtual consultations. So you can access Ivan and the IOG team from anywhere in the world. And so you can head to the website, you can reserve your consultation there. And I think once you listen, you're going to want to. Just make sure that you let him know that Matt sent you, or at least the Purple Patch podcast, because I'm bound that is going to give you some extra special love if you do. And also, you can meet up with the IOG team in San Francisco really soon, because IOG is now resident at the Purple Patch Center in San Francisco, and they're going to be taking reservations just for a three-day window, October the 1st to the 3rd. All types of bikes, first comes, first served. So you've got to act fast, because There's only so many slots in that three days, and bada-bim, they'll be back to Boulder for at least another month, probably. So it's a wonderful time, as you're going to hear. 
for a little bit of bike fit, house cleaning, equipment choices, etc., to begin setting up 2021. And you can register for all of his services at his website, ivanogorman.com. It goes without saying, these services that I talk about are not just for Purple Patch athletes. I'm just simply here as the fan, the messenger. And so jump to it. Anyway, as we go into this, I personally have learned so much. And honestly, I look in the mirror and I'm a little blown away that I actually really enjoy listening about bike fit from this guy. And I couldn't have imagined that I would say that anyone would really interested me on the subject of bike fit. But here we are. Well, without further ado, I'm going to give you an hour of power. IOG, Ivan O'Gorman, the man. He is this week's Meat and Potatoes. All right, guys, it's the meat and potatoes, and goodness me, we are scraping at the very bottom of the barrel today. I'm inviting an Irishman onto the show. But joking aside, we are very privileged. This is a conversation I'm really excited about. Uh, a legend in uh, the bike fitting world, Ivan O'Gorman from the IOG fitting team. Ivan, thanks so much for joining us. Great, Matt. Oh, I got your, your text message five minutes ago, so I'm glad I was able to, to come on last minute. I, I'm sure you had a very, uh, a very suitable guest that let you down, but uh, I'll, I'll fill in as best I can. Thank you very much for stepping in. It really was. You know, it's like, Ivan, I'm, I'm desperate. I don't have anyone. What are you doing? And you're just finishing your cup of coffee, and here you are today. <laughs> we'll do what we can. J- joking aside, you obviously have a, a, reputation, a reputation that precedes you in the, in the bike fitting world, and we want to get in today and try and provide some education. Uh, you've, you've got a broad, expansive experience from the very pro tour level of cycling, obviously a, a lot of work with professional triathletes, but also recreational athletes and, uh, and even corporate fitting in a way, is a, which is a, is a category that I just made up uh, on the fly there. But before we dive into the, the meat and potatoes of it all, what I like to do with all guests, and I think is really important, is to give a little bit of, of background of really who you are and, uh, and where you're from, a little bit of context. And, um, and the reason I do that is obviously I'm based in San Francisco, but came from Essex, England. You're based in Boulder, you are certainly not from Boulder. So why don't you give us a couple of minutes on your background and upbringing? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so I grew up in Limerick in Ireland on the West Coast, and it's uh, it really is, uh, you know, steeped in sports. We've got our Gaelic sports and we've got rugby, soccer. So played every sport uh, known to, to man, so to speak, in Ireland as I grew up. And I, I grew up on a farm and we had a lot of horses as well and did a lot of horse riding. So definitely was always active and it probably suited my energy levels so uh, that was kind of the upbringing um yeah I, I you know looking back and at the memories are brilliant of the team sports and the camaraderie and and that's uh something that i think a lot of people that are even on this call will resonate with when you have a group like purple patch or you have a community like triathlon or cycling or it's it's that you know it's it's sharing sharing the train and sharing the, the victories and some of my fondest memories are on wet soggy fields on a Tuesday evening you know with rugby drills and uh, I was very fortunate I 
got to sneak on last minute call up like this morning got to sneak on a couple of Irish teams when I was 18 so um, got to play rugby and for my country and that was a really maybe still is in one sense one of my best sporting achievements um, so that was it so sport was a lot to do with it and um, you know sport led me into the world of kind of um, corporate life in back in when I was playing rugby for Ireland at 18 it was like the, the, the next step from college football to NFL or something but this we're talking is amateur ranks and how they how the club secured their talent conveyor belt was with sweet jobs in soft college places. So I got a little bit of both and I got to earn money and get a decent education really young and a lot of flexibility so that I could play games at the weekend and train and travel to games. So uh, I worked in in what I would describe as a, a token marketing position with a property company and uh, we were wheeling and dealing uh, all all through kind of my, my 20s and uh, it was good time. There was lots of golf replaced, the golf replaced the, the, the rugby um and uh and the, the waistband went out a little and maybe a lot and uh we were enjoying the good life and then as uh, you know it came to a point matt where i was just I, I i had phased out on the rugby and then your 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 stock value goes down so as i went from like let's say 19 to 25 and i was playing less rugby at that higher level um and i wasn't really enjoying that like shall we say soft job that mid position i had to figure out what i wanted to do so um i went back to college i studied biomechanics so i was interested in trying to get into sport um and and just kind of see if I could make a living really honestly it was as simple as that and, and in that transition I, I got into I got into riding bikes again I ran a marathon with my cousin um, I you know learned how to swim I and uh, started that so it was really I think as trying to be master of the trade you nearly need to do it all to to understand the different perspectives and maybe that's something that helps me in the position that I'm in today is I was that absolutely clueless um you know um athlete who didn't know how to swim or i've i've been more times than not out of my comfort zone learning new skills and learning new challenges so um so that's that's kind of uh what led me to the united states was to pursue a career in bike fitting and to understand as much as i could about cycling and ultimately try to head back to ireland with um technology and, and a knowledge base that would allow me to serve that market but we never went back so Anne-Marie and I came here in 2000 that's my wife and came here in 2011 um I had been here in 2010 to meet the founders of Retool which is the motion capture equipment company that that kind of made very much the first steps in bringing uh, what I would call university grade or research grade technology down to kind of industry standard or, or industry availability within bike shops and physios. And that's kind of where maybe today's bike fitting market has evolved into um, where they use a level of technology that the customer expects and they have other attributes then whether it's background and experience and whatever to go with it so um yeah so that's uh kind of the quick quick couple of minute background on uh, what led me from ireland to boulder and w when when you were 
in team sports was the the sort of do you feel like uh, you went through obviously rugby? And firstly, a very quick question: What position did you play in rugby? You, I believe you, don't, you don't look like a two positions. A little fella like me could play. One is scrum half, which is like a, I suppose it's basically a, a miniature version of a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, for the for the American listeners, and then you could maybe play out on on the wing, um, and and that was a position where you if you were really quick. And, and you could have a good eye for the game, you had a value. But other than that, probably mass was a better advantage to have anywhere in the front, like front players and uh, and centre. So uh, you remember the Underwood brothers in England. Maybe I could have been a Tony Underwood or, uh, or a, a scrum half. So um, Matt Dawson, do you remember him, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. Famous, yeah. famous uh, Lions victory that they had down in mm-hmm. South Africa. But uh, yeah, so that was that was the position that I played. So it, it suited somebody who was only five and a half feet. And when you first got into biomechanics, just through interest at university, were you, did you first go in there assuming that you would be going into biomechanics for team sports, like looking to penetrate team sports, or did the sort of endurance yeah, sports begin to take over? I was looking at cycling, you know, because that was like, re, you know, it's, recreating yourself going into a new industry and learning something new after earning a decent amount of money and having a kind of a I could have stayed in that like I could have stayed in the industry I was in like property is always going to be there yes it it goes bang and it goes bust and it goes up and it goes down but I was pretty good at what I was doing I could have stayed there it was pretty daunting to kind of walk away from that and try and not alone get some knowledge but then connect with you know a new startup type of technology and try to like implement what you might learn in kinesiology and biomechanics with a new like um, implementation of motion capture equipment to try and like channel it into cycling and triathlon it was quite daunting so but my my goal was to get involved in cycling because I really love cycling and always race bikes and BMX road racing um had my first road bike when i was 12 rally banana and um you know just like so it it was cycling and triathlon that was the end goal and i know how tough coaching is matt and i never got into coaching i've guided some people along the way people who'd ask me for experience and i've written a few things on the on the back of a beer mat to help somebody but um i always thought coaching and I'll take my hat off to you and all the other coaches. It's a huge vocation, you know. And for me, on the return on what that vocation financially, I couldn't see how I was going to do that. But when I looked at bike fitting and I looked at putting it into something like this with a studio and and maybe having an element of retail, I was like, that's that's a a career that if I if I do it well, I'll get that interaction, that one on one, like you do with coaching, but. I won't have to be hands-on all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, so it, it was a good fit. Now, that's mostly luck and part. part. Uh, there's a little bit of being astute and trying to, like, hope that a business or my career might turn into something. But as you know yourself after that, it was a lot of hard work and a couple of lucky breaks. A, a lot of hard work. So, so let's, let's get into some education. And, uh, and let's start right at the top, because uh, I think outside of really athletes, there, there, there tends to be a real 
from from a coach's lens, a real sort of lack of understanding of the value of a proper bike fit. And so staying at the top level, how would you sort of umbrella the importance of a, of a proper bike fit for a rider? And perhaps, you know, that you might stray towards really serious riders looking for performance, but also recreational riders just looking to enjoy their bicycle. Yeah, sure. You know, I left when I left Retool um, in 15 and I started working for myself. Um, I, I was their kind of lead instructor for the United States and they had set up an entire uh, education network around the world because you couldn't sell like this $20,000 worth of, of high capture motion uh, capture equipment. Uh, high speed, I should say, motion capture equipment without knowing what to do with it. So that actually became part of, you know, my brief right from the start. Uh, so to speak to that, I want your kind of listeners to understand, like, this isn't Ivan now going to give a plug to the business. Um, I think the there are like all like all new services and and bike fit is relatively new um to all new services there's a learning curve and the value proposition isn't always entirely obvious and then along the way there's a lot of train wrecks so what i mean is there's a lot of mismatches in bike fitting you can have um, an outfit whether it's a shop a studio a coach whatever you can have that 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 outfit with a with a a kind of an unbalanced approach. So think of it this way. You go into Manhattan and some high retail unit wants to drop 25 or 30 grand on a bike fit studio, 50 grand, 100 grand. It's easy. They plonk in all the technology. It's all bells and whistles. It's the best brand. It's highly recognized. And then they don't have the right person. Then the outcome of that bike fit is crap. Then that coach is disillusioned. Then the other people are disillusioned. And now it's all of a sudden, it's like, ah, bike fit's overrated. And then mm-hmm. you also have bike fit um, guys that came through the learning curve of, you know, using plumb bobs and old approaches. And whilst they're very sound in certain ways, they leave holes in others. And you can have bike fitters that have good sound approach, but don't have a lot of like data capture capability. So when it comes to objective feedback, it's going to be hard to get that like the feedback is going to be very much opinion-based and that might be fine if everything is good. But I think really the value of like high capture kind of and and high quality data is objectivity and being able to look at it, particularly when things don't go well. And that is sometimes the case. So um, to kind of talk about where BikeFit came from, that's why some people might still to this day and 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 it's changing, but why, um, you know, people don't really understand like what the value of bike fit is because um, of those barriers. And also um, there can be a price barrier where sometimes, um, you know, it's just too expensive. And then other times it can be a location kind of barrier. So, um, so there are some of the barriers. Now, some of the benefits um, and obviously that market is changing, Matt. So the people that are listening here are going to kind of get a quick history of bike fit and then they can do their own research on who's in their area or whether they can work with us and so on. But the benefits mm-hmm. of bike fit very simply are can be based on priority of the goal of the athlete. Okay. So so what I mean there is if a recreational athlete wants to ride two or three times a week, the goal is likely enjoyment and comfort. And then the sub goal or the next goal is a, a, le- a, a level of relative efficiency. And another little sub goal could be a, a reassurance that they're not in harm's way from a repetitive injury standpoint. So there's kind of three goals. They all have a little role. If 
a purple patch top athlete comes and they're trying to go from neo pro with you to competing at the top level at a at a world championships then they have a different goal they're already performing at a kind of a we'll say a demand of competition so a high level but they need to refine it more so their goal is going to be optimum power output at a given effort um, maximizing speed for that effort and and the, so the the difference in them is they're looking at like two performance goals and the third goal which is still there but not as big a an influence is sustainability and kind of comfort you know so so that's a different so just to tell you like the benefits of the bike fit are depending on what you're going for but across all let's just simply say comfort um power and and sustainability over the length of time that you want to ride they're probably the three most commonly shared goals across a full spectrum of riders you know, it's. Uh, I'm going to ask about technology. You, you've mentioned it already with Retool and other stuff, but uh, I'll go back to my years of serious racing, where uh, it was like coming in, uh, perching you up on the bike, making you down as low as you can, tapping me on the button, saying, "Go on, off you go, son." And I remember, you know, riding like a, you know, just feeling crippled by the time I got off the bike. I think the whole industry or, or science of it has evolved so much over the last 10 or 15 years I, i'd love i'd love to break down the process that that you go through step by step at a very high level of course but as the process that you go through when someone walks into the shop with their bike to when they're leaving it's it's quite a process isn't it yeah it can be and and a quick little answer on the technology is technology has its place but there's an awful lot that it doesn't know and i think i think what what we've learned from technology specifically when you think of aerodynamics is um we've learned that like lower isn't always faster or actually it's probably even easier to redefine it lower is rarely faster you know what i mean so like and and that's in the extreme cases look there's cadell evans and there's other amazing riders that one and look at the positions in Kona and some of the champs, the past champs, high, like very, very aggressive positions. But as we know more about aerodynamics, we're into more the actual shape of the rider. We're into the integration of the bike and rider, and we're into materials and helmets and things that have a big impact on laminar flow. So that's kind of like technology has its limits, you know, and and I'm surrounded with technology, Matt, because we're supposed to be at the forefront of what we're doing. So I'm testing everything. IMU sensors, pressure mapping, you know, breath analysis, um, uh, motion capture. Uh, but honestly, Matt, you can you can overburden your athlete and your goal by trying to have too much technology involved. So I think there's 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 three key things to just make sure that people know where technology should be. There should be the objective benefit of the data you get from technology. There should be the rider feedback. And there should be the kind of the, the feedback from the professional, the one who has the experience to just keep law and order so that the data doesn't have too much of a voice or the rider doesn't, you know, um, it can't make an objective enough opinion. Or sometimes, as you know yourself, some riders have what I call poor biofeedback. So they're not great at giving feedback. So sometimes I like to say if you can get two out of those three, um, you know, very 
um, well aligned. And the third one is is there thereabouts. I think it's a very good start. But saying like the rider saying this is the way it has to be, or the fitter saying this is the way it has to be, or the fitter saying the data says this, this is where you have to be. That never holds water. So that's so that's tech. It has it has a a thirty three percent role in most great outcomes. We'll say um, the process that your listeners should be kind of considering is a process that is a roadmap and not a one and done. And I don't care who it is or what the technology is or where the rider is starting and where they want to finish. That roadmap better be laid out. And and people need to understand kind of some of the subtleties that go with a roadmap like that. What's the rider's tolerance for change? How well can they absorb change? Um, where are the where are the timelines on that roadmap that are important? Is it a seventy point three qualifier? Is it a world title or is it a world champs in eighteen months time? Is it your first sprint triathlon? Like it, it, I don't really mind, but there better be timelines because that way you can you can really you know eat the elephant one bite at a time. Uh, no no elephants were harmed in this commercial but, uh, so that, that 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 if you're meeting somebody who's 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 talking who's asking you questions that are establishing your baseline where have you come from what's your experience have you tried some changes what's what's led you to our door you know um and then what what is it that you're aiming for and then okay and you're going you, you know and and you you begin that's how it needs to be so the process is Get the history, establish a baseline, um, look at the lowest hanging fruit. Not because it's easy, because it's probably most impactful. And do the most impactful stuff, see how the rider responds to that, and then see where you can get greedy. Like I have no bones in saying that. You want to be greedy for your athletes. You want to try and get them what are they, a little bit more than they expected. And that could be as simple as I'd like, a, I'd like to ride for an hour and a half where my butt doesn't hurt. And and so they expect you to change the saddle. They expect you to get them on a saddle that they like. And if they can ride that for three hours and they like it, they've gotten more than they expected. So that's kind of like the, the end goal is get them more than they expected. And you have to be part of the journey if that's going to be the way. Otherwise, it's put on the blindfold, have a swing and hope you get it. But that's not that's not how you build a sustainable reputation, I guess. So that's the process that your listeners should be looking for. And that, amongst other steps, is kind of the process that we that we go through. You know, that there's there's so much parallels. You you started sort of talking about coaches and uh, the, the process. But in many ways, there is a real sort of coaching parallel. And there's two fronts that really highlighted the first you, you said, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but. You're going back to technology, you don't want to overburden your athletes with too much technology. That's exactly the conversation I have around data capture with heart rate, power, pace. It's objective, but it's only information that you use into the bigger picture, so the same sort of thing. And then road mapping, that's exactly the same as an athletic journey where so many athletes become very myopic and coaches, my next race, my next race, my next race. In fact, even this season, this season, it's like, where do you want to be next season? What do we need to do this season to go there? And I think that's the same iterative sort of process it, because you, you you can't create a hero in bike fitting in one hour. And I think that's uh, that's a, that's a, a sort of an important component to, uh, to think through, which is there. So um, – I, I was going to ask you around humans and technology, but I think that you answered that really well. 
So I'm, I'm going to go on to a, a question around something that you've only fleetingly mentioned, but I hear athletes go to first most commonly, which is aerodynamics. And how do you frame, you, you touched on this earlier with sustainability, power, speed return on that power. When you're working with someone, how do you balance between rider comfort or sustainability holding the position, particularly around injury and running off the bike, and aerodynamics? What's, what's the balance of that? But, and I'm particularly thinking about time trials, so obviously triathlon for the most part. Yeah, it, 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 it's quality trials, you know, and it's, it's stress testing the position against quality trials, and that's, that's race intensity efforts with, with high quality running off it. And, and like, you know, if you know the roadmap and you know where the, where the kind of target milestones are, will we overcook it? Sure, let's overcook it. Let's find out something by being too aggressive. That's fine as well. Or let's get there gradually. Like there's different ways, but you have to do it in high quality, like brick sessions. And, and um, you know, that, 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 that needs to be the approach. And I think you also need to look at where the experience of the athlete is. Um, and a little like where technology, you can have that like shiny and sexy appeal. Let's go to these guys. They've got all the technology. Well, you still have to like test it. And, you know, funny is in my career, I've over delivered technology to athletes in the earlier part of my bike fitting career because I probably was still absorbing it all myself. And it gave me a great way to go through each of the elements of the data feedback because I was kind of interpreting it and regurgitating it, but it was, it was entirely unnecessary. I think the experience of the athletes is important because you may need to, you know, guide them through what sustainable power is, but not alone that, but like where, where were they 12 months ago and where could they possibly go? And the goal should be like highest output at race effort. And then you think about like, optimizing that from an aerodynamic standpoint but i put it this way matt i think like i always think about the quality of the performance and somebody in ironman telling me like they took 15 minutes off their bike split and then still ran like a donkey that does nothing for me in relation to my position like my my contribution to that rider's performance i'm still going to hang my head my head in my hands and 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 say like we need to change this because I don't care how fast they're they're biking, they're not finishing this sport, you know. So, um, so I would say a couple of things. Even, uh, you know, it it has to be part of the of that bike run combo because uh, that's where people get the tingles. That's where they get the enjoyment. I freaking nailed it. I rode exactly to my power. I rode exactly to fail, and then I had my best run. They're the bike fits in the positions that I love the most. You know, because that's where I think we've measured it well. I also kind of have no problem with with when we don't get it just perfectly right, but we know we're really close. Then we only need to make some small control changes. And that's where the data is very objective because we can go back to that and we can say, okay, based on your feedback and based on kind of the challenge you had in that given race, here's the small change we're going to make and we're going to remeasure it, and then you're going to implement that again, and we try to manage those variables. So for me, it's still going to be power, it's going to be sustainability, and then finally it's aerodynamics. Um, and, and you're better off, Matt, giving up a couple of minutes 
Uh, and I know you know that, but your riders are better off giving up a couple of minutes, coming off the bike, feeling like I could have totally went harder and then running gazelle. Like that's psychologically um, for all the work we put into races to give yourself a fighting chance of closing out a race is extremely important. And and um, and I am kind of mindful of that when it comes to uh, what do I think is a suitable bike position for this athlete's goals. That's why I think you need to know the goals because otherwise I just stay in a bubble of of uh, a bike bubble and I just fit them as if they were riding the track or riding an outright time trial. And I'd have maybe for simplicity, I'd say I'd have great looking bike positions, I'd have super fast bike splits, and I'd have no one closing it. Yeah, you know, closing no, performance. Well, it's, uh, you know, you're like me, you have some memorable sayings, eating an elephant one bite at a time. I say running like a donkey dipped in cement. But I think the listeners to to remember, you said something fantastic in there, which is finish the sport. And triathlon is not swimming, cycling and running. It's swim, bike, run, finish the sport. And you've got a a really important role in that. I'm going to ask one for the nerds here. Okay, this is uh, because this is a continual question I get as a coach. So I'm going to ask one of the nerds, crank length. Yeah. You're like, oh, why is he asking me this? Here we go again. But um, th- there's been a big push in triathlon to for many people just to get shorter and shorter on crank lengths. And so I'll ask it in uh, an open way. Are short cranks better for every athlete? No. But I will say um, for the nerds, let's let's give them something because we know they're out there salivating, waiting like wolves <laughs> get stuck into something. They're going to get out in their next bike rider. They're going to get on slow twitch or something. And they're going to say, oh, I've been said this. And, you know, so let's give them something, Matt. Let's give them something. To give them a, let's give them a carrot. Yeah, what go on. Go was on. Look, in here, look in here to the whiteboard from a fit that I was working with a rider on Friday. And we had worked, and I'll use this as an example. We had worked through the the lower hanging fruit, right? The principles on crank length are around um, should be around knee flexion at the top of the pedal stroke and and hip angle closed at the top of the pedal stroke. So they're really we're only conscious of measuring it at the top because at the bottom, whether that crank length is one fifty or two hundred, you can still set the saddle height at a height that's fine for extension, but it just catches you coming over the top. So that's something that people should know that it's really the top that you're critically measuring it and you're looking at two principal joints. Um, so that's that's what we're looking at. With this particular rider, we had set for saddle height at both the bottom and the top. So we kind of couldn't really go any higher because then we'd, we'd be too high. So we were kind of at the, height of the saddle height that was reducing. It was at the height of this. The saddle height was at a limit. We couldn't increase it anymore to reduce the flexion at the top. And that simply then pointed to that if we want to improve these numbers and this rider had some patella symptoms and we've been working through this on two sessions. And the first goal of the session, Matt, was saddle sores and knee pain. And we went through multiple saddle trials. Now they're happy on that. Saddle saddle sores have cleared up, still dealing with the knee issues. We've tried every saddle position that we can and last arrow points to crank length. And if he wants to reduce his knee flexion, the load on the quadricep tendon, the stress over the patella, the crank has to get shortened. And we used the data to kind of 
walk it into that last avenue because it's a thousand dollars or it's three hundred dollars or it's something it's kind of an expensive move so sometimes riders are reluctant to do it and i think it's also appropriate that you examine other avenues that are easier to do before you kind of go to that so um that's that's a, a kind of a background to how decisions should be arrived at in relation to crank length and it's also crank length is principally at the top of the pedal stroke that we're most concerned about so now let's just throw out a cookie cutter approach, which I hate, but we'll do it for the nerds because they're they're still like this sounds like a blog to them. They want numbers, they want black and white. So I would say, Matt, if you're riding under 70 centimeters, you probably shouldn't be riding longer than 165 mil cranks. If you're between 70 centimeters and 75, and these are saddle heights, if you're between 70 and 75 you're probably well suited to a 170. And if you're, that's it, the crank length. And if you're riding from 750 up, and let's say most riders, Matt, finish at 850. So we'll just say like most of the riders that are taller satellites than 750, which means that they're in the 510 to six, whatever range, they're tall riders, that those riders could ride 175s um, and still not have any of those two issues we talked about, knee flexion and hip angle closed. So that's 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 the first thing that you'd say, is my crank length suitable? For me, you could look at those numbers. Um, the next thing I'd say is um, that they should do, they should know this. That has got, they, they need to know like where back angles are and how aggressive a rider is riding. And the things that they don't know, that I don't know, but you better think of when you're coming up with your recipe for your for your fit position cake, is you should know the fluency at hip motion. So like that's hip flexion and hip internal rotation, like the internal rotation of your femur. You should know the athlete's fluency over the top of the pedal stroke. You should also know the athlete's rear, the posterior chain length. So that's like lower back, PSIS joint mobility, um, hamstrings. They should know that type of, and even thoracic tension. They should know what they have to spend in that area as well before they start running off for either aggressive positions or short cranks. And the reason I say that is, you know, as again, data can measure certain things, it can measure flexion. It can, it doesn't like, you could have great flexion numbers and it could feel like crap. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like mm -hmm. you, you you can't you can't you know shell out a thousand K for a great power meter with a short crank and because the data says so, but it doesn't feel right. So again you go back to the 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 basics of well, how does the rider feedback pave in? What does the data say in this case about the flexion and what is the kind of fitters overall experience as to how much this rider can 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 ride because the the thing that happens unfortunately the train wreck matt is it's seen as a catch-all for tri positions shorter cranks means more open hip angles more open hip angles means better runners but if you could put it in a little bottle wouldn't it be lovely matt and no better no better industry than the bike industry to to, to pour that kool-aid so exactly um, so just kind of be aware on that um, we'll delve into it in other specifics because I know we'll do more educational stuff. And I would love to educate your audience on kind of some of the key elements of really solid positions and getting into some of those um, kind of rabbit holes. So hopefully the nerds have enough. 
and and also your other people that are concerned are considering crank length changes, you need to look at it as an overall position because what what what's the shame the shame that happens, Matt, is somebody has tight hip hip flexion and 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 a tight lower back. And they go into the shop and they drop the K. They don't even adjust the saddle position. They don't evaluate arm pad position. They don't evaluate anything. And you know what happens with 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 change, Matt? It feels different, so they're optimistic that different is better. And then they go back to hitting the Dixon numbers in their training and go back to the effort and go back to the intensity, and it all starts unraveling again. And now they've got a nice, shiny, shorter crank and all the same problems. It's uh, fantastic. Well, I'm I'm, I'm going to feed the nerds a little bit more because I'm going to go down one. I'm going to send you down one more rabbit hole, and I think this is an equal and important one. Uh, they're very very hungry, by the way, Ivan. They really are. Um, seat choice. I think it's a really important component. So I'll I'll ask it in a simple way. How important is seat choice when it comes to fit and position? It's a less contentious position. I think we can find middle ground here a bit easier. I'm going to have to chat with with, uh, Pat Romano or or Armin or any of these guys because I know it's you guys putting in these questions. But um, the seed choice is very important. It's absolutely the foundation of great performance. Um, And I don't say that lightly. But I will say this, Matt. Let's bring it back to the basics. Comfort is critical, okay? Unless you're racing three minutes on the track trying to win some – team you know individual pursuit or something where it's divided by one hundredth of a second comfort is critical so seat gives you comfort seat can either promote good posture or it can derail good posture good posture is without doubt associated with good hip extension and good knee extension it's without doubt associated with a kind of a natural spinal alignment and a natural kind of spinal tension that's that's just required with holding a forward flexed position so if those if the seed is at the very root of comfort and generating good power from your hip and having what i would say your body not fight itself there's three major elements that the saddle is sitting head of the table at so in that now that if you know that that's the importance of it how do you establish saddle comfort? I co- speed dating, Matt. You got to do it. You're going to meet some clangers, and you're and and it's going to be worth it in the long run because you're going to go through six or seven or eight saddles, and automatically you're going to have a better answer second time around to when the fitter or I or any of the team here ask you the first question: How would you rate your current saddle on a scale of one to ten, comfort wise? If zero was terrible and, and ten was 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 excellent, and they'd say um, seven, yeah, yeah, pretty good. But they wrote down they're they're great at this short term memory loss. They wrote down saddles uncomfortable, but yet when you ask them a question like that, they say seven, not bad. Okay, then you run them through the speed dating where they ride a half a dozen saddles, and all of a sudden it's like ooh, this is interesting. This is good. Okay, great. Let's go to the next one. Oh, that's terrible. That's shocking. And we go through it. And we're talking, Matt, a couple of couple of minutes here, you know, just like move around in the saddle a little, in the aero position, up in the base bar, crawl out the nose a little, sit back a little further, 
kind of rotate their hips a little. And so you go from sit bones to pubic rami and just kind of like explore how it feels when you hold these different positions. Because bike fit isn't one standard stable position. Like it should be, how are you going to bounce off the road in Santa Rosa? Or how are you going to ride in Kona? Or how are you going to ride in Tucson? Or, or if you get to ride something in Frankfurt and it's like the autobahn and it's perfectly smooth, it might be different levels of vibration, but you're still going to move a lot in the saddle. So sure. you get the idea that like you've got to explore how much real estate you have in that saddle to sit on and what types of postural adjustments you can make without the saddle going from it's comfortable, it's terrible, you know, that kind of decoupling that could happen. So they ride the half a dozen saddles and you ask him again, so how comfortable is your is your and is your current saddle? Oh Jesus, my current saddle is like a tree. I, I don't I'm not going riding that again. Like no way. Like I'm I'm excited to try this saddle. I think it feels great. I can feel this relief of pressure. I can find where I sit either on my sit bones or when I roll onto my pubic bones. That doesn't mean you're sitting on your genitalia. It's just you're moving a little on the bony structures and can be very uh, sufficient to load bear on. And they can say, yeah, this is great. Like I'm excited to try it. And that's as much as you can achieve nearly in that first session. So that's how you establish for comfort. Two, the postural stuff will be found out, whether it's found out in the studio or it's found out in training. It's going to be found out. You can measure it using like IMUs to look at sacrum angles. You can look at um, vertical oscillation. But honestly, on a new saddle for a first session in a studio, it's just baseline data. You don't know if it means anything. So you won't really solve for posture in the studio. You'll test that under load. And then equally, you'll test duration uh, under load um, and, and how your body feels and how much stress you're under if you're racing 30 minutes or six hours or whatever it is. So two of those three key elements will need to be tested in training. And that's why early enough in my career, Matt, when we saved what I would call final data, what I call back then final data, I called it trial. Now everything, when I type in my save data for the last session, I go trial right or trial left because that's where the athletes are going, out for a trial. And mm -hmm. I thought it was too easy, wasn't it? Uh, initial data, final data. I don't know if there's ever a final data. I think it's just a continual trial data that we're in, uh, particularly when people are trying to find their limits. So that's how they should be trying to establish comfort on saddles. There's a couple of other things that people might consider if you are dealing with a saddle sore. You could sit um, with asymmetry. That asymmetry could cause knock-on effects to strains and, and other discomforts. Yes, you might use pressure mapping because it might show where that asymmetry is. Yes, you'll use motion capture because you can look at offsets and where riders sit in relation to midline. As a reference, doesn't mean you have to sit. Super. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. And I, and I want to give some context uh, when I ask this question, because this this year has obviously been turbulent for everyone. We, you know, races evaporated for athletes, goals have shifted, so much energy around managing the stresses of the time. And from a purple patch point of view, this, is, uh, this hasn't been a series of months where we've asked athletes to grind their body into the dust. 
in training. Instead, we've sort of really looked to leverage the adversity to get ahead in various areas. And that could be habit creation, working on weaknesses and technique, a little bit of high intensity work far away from race pace where we can actually improve physiological capacity, etc. And so under that premise, through my lens, it would ironically seem to me, even though it's probably the furthest thing from most athletes' mind, it would seem to me that this is a wonderful time to actually work on equipment, fit, position. And so in the context of these times, I guess, am I right? Is, is this the time to actually work on, on evolving your fit or position or equipment? Yeah, like, look, um, your listeners should know at this stage that, like, something in a sport that has that has multi-disciplines like we're dealing with here and that have different facets in how well you execute those disciplines, that something always has to get a, take a compromise. So what I mean by that is like um, if you're trying to work on on your, your, your biking, maybe you've got to back off the running and so on, and you continually have this pressure like to try and manage something. But now you've probably a better opportunity than any because you don't have that milestone of a race really. So it's a perfect time like to put a little bit of effort and specificity into something that will serve you well when it comes to um, having it there as a neuromuscular kind of memory, as a, an education pathway, as a kind of a trial and error period. This is a great time for getting it wrong as well. You know, like trying something that doesn't work because we can, we've got plenty of time to recover from it. I don't mean recover in the sense that somebody's gotten injured or it's, but I just mean like if we want to take on an aggressive bike position and test it against some brick sessions, now is a great time to do it because in the broader picture, we're not like impeding or impacting preparation for a certain race. So there's just many, many things you could do right now. And a small percentage even of the pros, I see them coming in. Like, look, our, our triathletes are in hibernation. There's no question. From a business standpoint, they're just in hibernation. But <clears throat> I've had, you know, a, a small percentage of our retained athletes. So athletes come to us every year. And those retained athletes are coming in and they're dialing in second bikes and they're trialing different pedal systems and they're working on posture on the bike and they're getting aerodynamic scans and they're training with mirrors and they're doing different things like that. Um, because think of like, go back to you, you asked about like the aerodynamics. Well, what better, like what's going to be the biggest bang for buck in aerodynamics? It's going to be position. 80% of your overall drag is the rider. Well, what if what if the rider says, I have a bad position? Right. You've got a ton of opportunity where you're going to save a ton of watts. So, yeah, you should be working on that right now. What if somebody says, well, I've got a good position, like I've been placing really well in all my races, and this could be amateur or professional. You say, absolutely, that's outstanding. How can we get greedy without derailing it? We can still probably find more. And what the top level athletes are doing, Matt, is they're working on the little micro adjustments of line of sight, of integration of where their helmet is in their hands and, and how they can keep that distance of 12 meters or look up the road, be safe, but ultimately be quiet and narrow and still. And they're at home on, on their trainers and, and they're putting out less than race training effort but they're putting in more than race training effort on posture and training their neck muscles. And they're out with the, with the, with the 
Paragon devices and the uh, who's my buddies at Adaday? I better give them a plug or I'll be in trouble. Um, they're out with the Adaday's and they're beating their their uh, trap muscles and they're really kind of working on upper body mobility so that they can get into this narrower position. So that's broader than maybe you asked for as an answer, but for sure there's 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 food on the table right now if you don't have an a looming um race coming up on you you've got time to be working on on position changing some equipment um even honestly and i don't care if you come into us you should go to somebody and establish a baseline because if you haven't already got a roadmap you you need a roadmap and like establishing a baseline look to be told Position's pretty solid, to be honest. I think there's a lot that you've got right. That can be quite valuable because then you can say, okay, that means when it comes to, you know, ramping up the training and getting serious and getting that, like, confirmation of a race entry in your inbox, that you don't have to then start, like, you know, getting busy in the first 10 weeks of that preparation by trying to get your position solid. You've got it already ready to go. So there's multiple reasons that you need to be working on any area of opportunity now is the time. Well, you you started the show with the roadmap and the journey and testing and everything. And without this looming deadline, you suddenly have this gift. And and yet people put their, their heads in the sand. Um, and, and, I, and I want to ask something parallel because... That, Matt, and I know you'll be aware of this. I would say, like, it's never too late. Like, we're in this, you know, shit show with COVID, and we have different levels of resilience at different times. You know what I mean? We were at the start, and then we got broken, and some of us are still broken, and others are seeing a way out of it. And, and like, look, whatever the last six months has been, you know, from missing races and this, that, and the other, I would argue that, like, look, six months is going to change things. You know, and I would say that it's it's never too late to start. So don't feel just because, you know, there was, there has been, if we look back, there's been three months behind us or four months. Sure, we could have done things differently and we could have been a bit better and maybe we would have been less depressed and maybe we would have been more, you know, productive. And there's lots of different ways to look at it. But I would encourage people to to know that there's always time to make a change like that. And that stuff's behind the ears. It doesn't matter. We're, we're looking forward and we're planning, and I think that's the mission. So I think it's spot on. I, I want to ask you about your your virtual consultations. I'm, I'm not sure what you call them, but, I, you know, the IOG team offers services, obviously anchored in Boulder, uh, some stuff in Denver as well, and, of course, San Francisco at the new Purple Patch Center, which we're going to talk more about. But uh, you guys are going to be here uh, right at the start of October, October the 1st through the 3rd for the – for the first time in-person sessions in uh, in San Francisco. But you also offer virtual conversa- uh, consultations for athletes all over the world. Can you explain what these are and, and perhaps also what they're not? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting that we st- you're not the only one to struggle how to describe it. We struggle to describe it. And, and the reason I say that is because there isn't like one approach that just fits all. You can't call it online bike fit. Because it might actually be a lot to do with the fitting, so to speak. It could be more about um, an evaluation and somewhat of a, um, the word is escaping me, but it's it's kind of like setting it's an a baseline. Audit. It, it's yeah. an audit. 
Thank you, Matt. It's an audit. And like so that's what it needs to be. Like if I'm to go on a Zoom call, um, you know, with Pierre in Belgium, who you refer to us, mm-hmm. it's an audit. So I'm saying, okay, Pierre, fill out this form. I've got questions that give me the background and allow me to peel back a few layers. Um, okay, upload a couple of videos, whatever is comfortable, iPhone, whatever you think. If you have a trainer at home, if you've got a couple of race images, upload those. We put it on a Google Doc, we share it, and then we set up a Zoom call and we start peeling back layers. And and some of it is, again, low-hanging fruit. There's some big positional changes you could make. Sometimes it's not necessary to make big positional changes. It's more about getting into an element of the performance that they're not happy with. And it could be an item like, like and in that audit, that's where we double check how's the comfort, what like your saddle height against that crank length, your saddle height against that frame, your your position against where you're trying to go. Because like we have riders that are riding too conservative, Matt. They're good athletes. You think of some of the athletes we work with. They were great tennis players. They were good soccer players. They were good rowers. They were just different sports, different athletes. But yet, because they're a new athlete or new triathlete, they're in these conservative positions. We can fast track that. We can accelerate that because they've got the athleticism to absorb more. So like Mm -hmm. the thing about it is it's a consultation and audit. And that's honestly, it might sound like, you know, pretentious to try and make it sound better. But a bike fit is kind of misleading because it's not like a bike fit is something that's more in person. And, and there's other things that you look at in bike, like we can do maybe more in depth in relation to flexibility and kind of pre-fit assessment. We can look at uh, accurate data capture. Um, there's things that you can do in, a, in, a, in an in-person bike fit that you can't. But let's just say that the, the, the pieces that are left out of an online consultation are, are, are not going to limit you improving the rider's kind of outcome. So the onlines have worked extremely well, and we have also found them to be extremely good in setting out the roadmap of what changes to make, script out the changes, see how the rider absorbs the changes, give us some feedback, we'll give you the next steps. Like we are, as the phrase goes, like missionaries, more so than mercenaries. So we can't sell, we can't help ourselves helping athletes. Our online consultations are supposed to be 59 minutes for whatever price. We can't stop there because every every consultation is, look, will you give us some feedback? We want to know how these changes went. So we're already committing to a follow-up. We're already committing to them sending us an email and saying, um, those two steps have gone great, Ivan. Do you think now is the time to change that crank length? Or do you think now is the time to buy that new um, tri-bike? Because here's my first Cervelo P2 and I've been racing it for five years. We made the position. The position changes feel great. Now do we size the new bike to the new position? Am I right in thinking that? And I'm absolutely, that's exactly what we're going to do. Great. Can you tell me and just make sure we're, we buy the right frame? And, you know, so like we can hold our hand in many different journeys. And that's kind of, um, we've given people a lot of advice on equipment that they might need. Um, and it stops them shelling out cash on other things that they don't need, you know. So multiple different things have come and, 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 you know, the tricky one that we've got over, the North Americans have it a bit easier than Europeans and other parts of the world because you can go to ISM and you can go to other manufacturers and you can go to backcountry.com and competitive cyclists and all these different, um, both 
online retailers and manufacturers that will sell direct to customers and they'll do 30-day warranties and that. So I've worked with Purple Patch athletes where it sounds a little heavy, but the credit card gets dinged for, you know, one statement to where you invest in five saddles, but you're going to get a refund on four of them. And yeah. if you had to establish that, um, well, look, unfortunately, that's what you're going to have to do. If your number one issue is you're uncomfortable, you're dealing with lower back pain, you don't like your saddle, I'm sorry, that's the process that we have to go through if you want to be successful. So we've been able to help the North Americans a bit more even to solve for saddle comfort and issues like that. And um, we can use the system and, and, and guide the people in the right direction to be able to, to take advantage of that. But, but I'll tell you, and I, I sort of say this, it, it's been an accelerant for many of our athletes. And the one thing, I mean, that there's that, you know, you, you've thrown a few purple patch athletes' names out in this. And the one thing that's sort of universal is they feel like they, these have all been virtual consultations, but they all have relationships with IOG. And I think that's that's really the, the huge part of it. Pierre in Belgium, uh, obviously some, some people in the Bay Area as well. And then many of those folks then are going to come and meet you in person when you're in San Francisco, but there's already this relationship set. Uh, Pierre will not, but has managed to have a little bit of upfront in set, uh, uh, investment to, I think in many ways, get to a better place, but also avoid spending monies. It's sort, of, it's sort of filtering through. It's the filter through the the journey that's really hard to navigate on your own. You know, I, I can't navigate it on my own. It's incredibly equipment choice. And we've had athletes that have gone all the way through to, I'm having an audit to, this is my new bike, knowing that I've got the setup that is got the highest likelihood of the right crank length the right seat choice. And now I've got a bike that I not only like to look at, but I love to ride as well. And I think that's that's to, yeah, to get there quickly. The has been interesting how we've evolved it um, or how it's evolved itself. And I think it ultimately comes down to, you know, if you want one hour or whatever it is, a bit more of really like high level advice and being able to like quickly um, diagnose what's going on and quickly kind of, be able to place that on the roadmap. That's the benefit, I guess, of our experience. And I'm not trying to like, you know, tip our own hats too much on that, but I'm just trying to like ask myself, like, what is the benefit? Because before, man, when we were creating that service, I thought like maybe we're going to have to use like dark fish. We're going to have to look at 2D data. We're going to be drawing body angles and we're going to do this. And I didn't want to do it, Matt, because that's kind of, it has its own inaccuracies. So, look, for years I could have done online bike fits, but I didn't. I didn't. I, I didn't think it was going to be the same as in person, so I stayed away from it. I didn't want to dilute like the quality of the outcome. So, COVID forced us into a scenario where we did it all, being a little reluctantly, but people genuinely wanted help and couldn't come in, um, and we weren't going to say no earning a few quid when when nobody was coming in in person so we went with it but it wasn't our first choice but in hindsight it's going to be a service we're going to have forevermore because people and it, the testament is in the testimonials like riders just saying this was brilliant Ivan like I was able to buy a two thousand dollar bike off Craigslist and I knew I was buying the right bike and you helped me and I didn't didn't think I was going to be able to afford a tri bike but I kept my own road bike and now I'm able to do it and you know there's just so many different ways that we've helped people that the online consultation is definitely here to stay and I would say it's ideally suited for people that have 
never had any kind of uh, advice or experience or had their position audited and uh, or it's ideally suited to somebody who's had what they would consider an okay fit but are looking for a bit more and they might mm-hmm. think that we're the people that might have some high level kind of insight that might help them um and and so so there's there's definitely a number of categories um of riders that it might suit so yeah absolutely so, so two very last. We're, we're butting up against the end of uh, the end of our time, but um, I, I want to ask two very quick last questions. And the first is uh, is something I think is really important to to just talk about briefly, which is you know I want to extend behind, beyond Ivan, and because uh, you have a a cracking team at, at IOG, and I've been so impressed with with Chris. In fact, I'm going to go through a, a sort of fitting experience in San Francisco with Chris when he's here in in early October. Uh, it really seems like I think I, I guess the question is: It seems like IOG is truly a team, and you guys really have a, a really glo- great relationship. Yeah, it is. No, it's a great it's a great partnership. Uh, Chris has has in many ways far more experience than I have. And, and in other ways, he has he's a lot stronger in in some of the technical sides of equipment and um, and and definitely he knows the the retail aspect of it, which is important as well, because um, he comes from uh, you know a background of high level service using fit as the foundation for retail sales. That's probably kind of how I'd capture like where Chris comes from, um, but his level of communication with athletes and his understanding of what what serves athletes well is huge. So it meant that we just forged a very, very strong team partnership. And I, I couldn't do it on myself anyway. Like, you know, with coaching, Matt, you go so far. There's only so many fits you can do and there's only so many people you can see. And uh, and then there's also a huge strength in the dynamic of having a different perspective. And it, he keeps me very fresh in how we approach. Uh, when we... Because we're as critical as those nerds that were asking the questions in, in your in your podcast. When we see new technology, when we see new designs, when we need see new products, we're we're like those nerds. We're asking, we're questioning, we're trialing. And I just think having you know a couple of us on this team to continually like push the boundaries of good practice good product and combining that for athletes goals i think the synergy of having more than just one is is extremely beneficial so that's where we are look we approach things a little differently but our outcomes are largely the same and and you know we work and this is testament to how i think we work the same way that you can evolve online consultations to in-person bike fit that comes with accountability You can't tell Mary something in an online consultation, then get to meet her in a bike fit and decide, oh, I want to change my mind and do it entirely different. So we're always very accountable and ready for Chris and I to interact and interchange with our customers because we work on the basis that, well, what if one of us is out and somebody needs a quick adjustment or a bike breaks and they need a saddle in a certain position or they need whatever so the way we work with our athletes means i can hand my notes to chris and like a surgeon he can take over and vice versa i can start something with dennis woodside that we can do 100 in person online and then chris will be in the bay but dennis can go in and he can capture that data and we can ensure that there isn't anything that i've missed and i i think that that's great accountability because now i'm on the friggin hook and he's um critiquing me 
you know so i just love that accountability that we're trying to achieve great outcomes for our riders and we're not um we're not uncomfortable with coming under the lens if we have to so we work really well and i would say that um yeah um it, we're fortunate to have customers coming to iog and and hopefully the customers are fortunate to have a, a dynamic duo and um You've mentioned, obviously, Chris coming in. I've mentioned it a couple of times. Let's talk about our relationship with Purple Patch because we're, you know, we are we are just now sort of in the middle of COVID, just opening up the Purple Patch Center. It will be your San Francisco base. I guess the first thing for me to point out is that while you're in the Purple Patch Center, this your location here is not just for Purple Patch athletes. It is truly for anyone uh, that that would like to have access to the IOG team in in the Bay Area. But um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the relationship and uh, and the center in San Francisco globally. Yeah, well, it's like simply put, it's a great opportunity for us to get into the Bay Area to where we know there's an established endurance market. Cyclists, Rafa, tri-clubs, teams. Look, there's just a lot of people there who love riding bikes. And you guys have afforded us an opportunity to come in and share a fantastic facility and to offer high level services. And that's a great opportunity for us. And we're gonna grab it with both hands and we can't just clone ourselves. So Chris and I are going to alternate making trips to, to San Francisco and we'll have slots available and people can book. And when we get on the ground, we'll, we'll, we have partner, we have a relationship with Rafa here in Boulder. We'll do the same when we get there. We'll work with some of the tech companies that are out there and some of the big employers. And we really will get into the kind of fabric of the San Francisco riding scene. And uh, we're looking forward to it and we're looking at it long term. And, um, you know, the, we know how you guys operate, how you, treat your athletes the community you're building and no better i suppose compliment to get than to be asked to share information not just sell services but like to be asked to give our experience and to empower the athletes and to speak to a, to the sport at, at a high level that we think will help athletes enjoy it more so we love the educational component and, and we love the banter, and, and there isn't anything uh, that we could see as a drawback to it, other than we're going to have to manage a bit of travel, and we have to just be steadfast that we're all going to survive until after COVID, and when we get through it, we'll be in a position where we'll thrive, you know? So I'm excited well, for how that will play out. Well, you know, the, the, the Purple Patch athletes listening to this, uh, uh, you know, you talked about the educational side. They're already so immersed with IOG because you guys have well beyond this this short podcast. You know, you've, you and Chris have been so generous with your time for Purple, whether an education athlete, a squad membership, a one-to-one athlete, but this really frequent ongoing video sessions to talk about many of the stuff, that much of the stuff we talked to that today and, and going down rabbit holes because we have so much time. So I know that they're really, really grateful for the education and that's a real partnership. So Ivan, I want to say thank you so much. I, a couple of things for, for listeners. Firstly, everything we talked about today around your virtual consultations, or in fact, if you want to book and come and see us or see IOG in San Francisco in the Bay Area, the brand new COVID safe 
Uh, it is very COVID safe because it's brand spanking new and sterilized. But October the 1st through the 3rd, all of that information can find at your website, ivanogorman.com. We'll also put it into the show notes. So I-V-A-N-O-G-O-R-M-A-N.com. You can see the San Francisco booking there. You can uh, you can see the virtual consultations if you would like that. And uh, And of course, Boulder and Denver, Colorado people head to the same website as well. But I'm uh, I'm incredibly excited. I, I I love chatting to you, and most importantly, learning from you. I, I, you take the complex and make it simple with a little bit of humor mixed in, which is always fun. So, a- any last words of wisdom for the listeners, or should we go and have another cup of coffee? Just 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 look after each other and keep forging on, and and uh, the, your listeners might enjoy this one. You're like. You're like to me, Matt, you're like that perfect headache. You know what I mean? You give me that headache to where you make me have to continue to like evolve our content. And you're going to ask me questions that I can't give you a BS answer on. And, you know, you're a straight shooter when it comes to delivering good information. And it's a great challenge for us here to have someone poking and prodding us like that. Because, you know, that type of engagement means we have to be on our toes and for that i thank you and i hope that the fruits of us poking each other and giving each other a challenge um trickles down to some value for everyone that tunes in i think that's the biggest compliment i've ever had you are the perfect headache, perfect headache. <laughs> in your perfect headache. Right, uh, th- thanks so much mate no, i really appreciate all it. The best. well guys brilliant That's all I have to say. I think you could tell from that conversation, I just could have carried on going on and on and on. I absolutely loved it. Ivan's so engaging, so thoughtful, so keen to educate. And uh, and I really want to thank him for being on the show. And, And one thing I want to point out right at the end, I just couldn't help but sneak it in. But these experts, there's only so much we can get on a show like this, just this sort of hour of power, as I called it, but the Purple Patch education members and Purple Patch athletes, they know Ivan and the IOG team. And the reason they know those guys is because on a really regular basis, Chris and Ivan come on live with the education members and the Purple Patch athletes and spend hours with them going through everything, doing deep dives on seat and crank length and everything that we talked about today and to give some real insights and education and feedback to people with their questions. And I think that's one of the the real perks of having such a close network of experts that really have a passion for education. And you could tell that just Ivan has it oodling. So anyway, I'll uh, leave you for today, ivanogorman.com. Thank you so much to the whole IOG team. I want to thank Chris as well, who's obviously a massive part of the team and has done so much. And for you guys out there, don't let those guys bypass you. They're legends. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!